0: Cast. Welcome back to the Stitchdown Shoecast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things that we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com, alongside that renegade shoeman, Ticho Blanco, and today we've got a guest we're so very excited about, Adele Williamson, bespoke shoemaker for Trickers, the 192-year-old behemoth of Northampton, England shoemaking. Before we bring in Adele, we just need to give a tender shout-out to our sponsor this week, Grant Stone, whose fantastic new chucka boots I've been wearing basically every other day for the past month or so. Check out GrantStoneShoes.com to see their whole very deep lineup, and go listen to our previous episode with Wyatt Gilmore, Grant Stone founder and just excellent, excellent person. Also, don't forget to pick out your pair for the Stitch down, down Patina, Patina Thunderdome. Thunderdome the seven-month judged boot and shoe agent competition with over $10,000 in prizes that starts on October 1st and which Grant Stone just happens to be a presenting sponsor of. And Trickers is also a sponsor. Thank you to you both for your wonderful boot prize donations. All entrants just need to be a member of the Stitchdown Premium community, which is kind of just the greatest place ever anyway. So head to stitchdown.com to learn more. This thing is going to be a blast. Can't wait to see what you all wear. But it's time. One of Tricker's youngest bespoke shoemakers ever. Tricker's first female bespoke shoemaker ever. Adele Williamson, I have to ask you the most crucial question of them all. What shoes are you wearing today?
1: Hey, so today I'm wearing a pair of our Acorn Stowe boots, which is pretty fitting for this podcast today.
0: Classics.
1: Absolute classics. I've got them with the natural barber welt and a white Vibram sole so they're a little bit jazzed up and really comfortable
0: ah a little wedge sole for old Ticho here
1: is that one of your favorites TJ?
2: no it's unfortunately it's just the opposite I'm not a not a wedge sole guy <laughs> at at all but I do I do love the love the stow pattern that's one of the best wingtip boots out there are they bespoke or are you shopping ready to wear what's uh what's the story there
1: These are actually a pair that I made during my apprenticeship. So I was learning, but they were towards the end of my apprenticeship. So they they look a lot better than some of them from the early days. I actually um, made them on one of our ladies' lasts. So it's a slight modification of the men's stow boot. It's on the 6230 ladies' last that we do the Anne and the Steffi boot on. So they're just a slightly narrower fit um, and... I get complimented on them all the time. They're a great looking beat.
0: Hopefully. We have a lot of people on this show and they're all wonderful. But the number of people who have actually made their own shoes and the shoes that they're wearing on the show or every day in life is actually quite limited. And to me, it seems like quite literally the coolest thing ever.
1: I'd say it's definitely perk of the job. I mean, I do have quite a lot of um, ready-to-wear trickers as well, but I think you've got to be able to make your own shoes and wear them with pride, haven't you, when you're a shoemaker?
2: You know, I feel like when, you know, like if I cook something for myself, I don't enjoy it quite as much as if I go out to like a restaurant or someone else cooks for me because, you know, you're kind of seeing all the imperfections of it and you're, you know, have a per- very personal investment in it. Do you find that you do enjoy wearing shoes that you have made yourself more than something that you haven't made?
1: No, that's a really good point, actually, because like you said, you know where all of your mistakes are and you look at that pair of shoes and before enjoying them aesthetically, you can just pick out in your head what you did wrong at the time. I think it depends on how many mistakes you made and what the overall look is once they're finished. This particular pair are quite forgiving and I really 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 like wearing them but there's some pairs from my earlier days like I said that I probably just keep in the cupboard stashed away with their shoe trees in and their shoe bags on and don't really go back to them very often (laughs) I'm really critical of my own work so it's not I mean I think you have to be as a shoemaker you have to be really critical and I'm quite a perfectionist so the minute you know that there's a mistake in that shoe I'd rather go and buy a pair off the shelf and not look at them in too close a detail (laughs)
0: yeah I I try not to buy too many bespoke shoes from uncritical shoemakers
1: personally yeah it's not a good idea like "Ah, this this one's fine (laughs) yeah we'll just make this one and it'll do it doesn't match the other foot but who cares
0: (laughs) (laughs) so Adele you're in your apartment or flat uh, I suppose I should use the correct terminology and you've been working from there for like a year or so is that like you know there's obviously circumstances in the world but like you kind of moved your operation to there. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, When the UK went into lockdown last March, um, I took a carload of tools back to my house from the factory in Northampton and set up at home, which uh, was, you know, I was really lucky to be able to do that. Because being a bespoke shoemaker, you don't need any machines, everything is just made by hand with your tools. So I felt really privileged to be able to go back to my house and set up in a small corner and and sit there and start making shoes from the comfort of my own home. And I haven't left, (laughs) quite literally. (laughs) I still go back to the workshop in Northampton, but at the moment I'm still based at home. I've got a slightly nicer workshop than what it started off at in March, 2020, and I've expanded it slightly. And it's, it's just a really lovely, well-lit space. And I sit in here and have my music on and make shoes all day. And it's just like heaven.
0: <laughs> Sounds great to me. Yeah, I've, I've just been accumulating them in my home, despite for like a year not really seeing too many people while wearing them, but it seemed like the right thing to do. Look, I, I think your story is incredible and would love for you to tell it. How'd you get into shoemaking in the first place? And how did you get to doing what you're doing right now, which seems like one of the coolest jobs that you can have?
1: Yeah, it's a question I get asked quite a lot, actually. How did you get into shoemaking? I suppose it's a trade that, you know, people don't really think still exists. Even in Northampton, some people don't realize that there's still a big footwear industry. I've always been really creative. My parents are creative, and I suppose I inherited their skills from quite an early age. And I took quite a big gap from school after studying A-levels in art and design and textiles and woodwork. Took a few years out to actually establish maybe what I wanted to do with my career. And after a few failed jobs in industries that I'd rather not mention because I was so bad selling ski holidays and things like that, really awful. And realized that actually maybe I should go back to making if I get I got sacked because I didn't sell any ski holidays and it was all based on commission so I thought right this is definitely not for me I had quite a long chat with people and with my mum and she said oh why don't you go back to go well, go to uni and I said oh I don't know and initially it was you know I had an idea of going into product design but for me there was almost too many options with product design That at the end of my degree I could have made anything or designed anything and I wanted something more specific and I suppose you can't really get more specific than shoemaking (laughs) probably not (laughs) no absolutely I'm from Leicester which once was the capital of women's shoemaking De Montfort University in Leicester have got a course based on footwear design so I decided to apply for it and I was successful And I began studying at De Montfort in 2013, which was amazing. I mean, they teach everything from designing to making uh, alongside some um, biomechanics as well. So you get a real idea for sort of every element of shoemaking. It wasn't really until my second year that I realised, however much I enjoyed the design element, I really enjoyed the making. That's when I actually approached Trickers who were, you know, an hour down the road in Northampton, approached them to see if I could do an internship there, just to see what their standard of making was like compared to what I'd learned at university. From then on, I just absolutely fell in love. Uh, you can imagine big old Victorian factory in the heart of Northamptonshire. It's just eye-opening to, to walk through the doors. You can hear the machines and smell the leather. And it was just the start of my, my dream career, really. It was it was truly inspiring. So I began my internship there in between my second and third year of university. And they asked where I'd like to sort of specialise my skills. And Trickers are the only factory in Northampton that actually have a bespoke department. And because I'd been making shoes for the previous two years at university, obviously bespoke was was really like something that was going to catch my eye. My internship was for two months and I worked three days a week at Trickers. And it had recently, um, management had recently just slightly changed hands, still family owned. And they decided to go through all of the archives. So my days were in the morning, I'd be making bespoke shoes, well, learning to make. And in the afternoons, I would be going through the archives of the past. Back then, it would have been about the past 187 years of history. Uh,
0: the best place to be.
1: It, it, I think that's really as well what, what really kind of brought Trickers to life for me. Because alongside working in the small workshop with two or three of the makers, using these tools that had been around for decades... I then, in the afternoon, got the chance to see the history of the company and how it had developed. I love history. And looking at all the old drawings and the old catalogs. I mean, the amount of information that we came across that people hadn't even really seen before was amazing, as you can imagine. If that didn't capture someone's imagination and make you want to become a bespoke shoemaker, I don't really know what else could. (laughs)
0: We have a bit of an obsession on this podcast that isn't flexed often enough, but we had a whole episode where we're basically just reading old marketing copy from catalogs from like the 20s and 30s from the Pacific Northwest bootmakers in the US. And what a ride.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was was so fun. It was. It was so fun. Just
0: the gall that those copywriters had. Unmatched.
1: It really was. I mean, I put everything into sort of year order. We kind of had to try and categorise everything, but there was so much information. It, we you know it took weeks and weeks to sift through it. And it's the, some of the imagery and the ledgers that we found are now framed in our German street store. Um, some are in our factory shop and also just all around the factory. We've had so many ledgers blown up, framed. I also believe quite a few of them have been posted on our social media because they're things, you know, it, it's heritage and it's... it's things that are really worth sharing with people because they date back so long. And it's fascinating. Having the opportunity to actually go through those archives alongside learning hand skills that I'd never been shown before. I mean, I fell in love and I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to then be offered a job upon my graduation the following summer, which I gladly accepted. I just wanted to get the last year of university sort of over and done with really so I could get back to making bespoke shoes I felt I felt so lucky it's very rare to be able to have a paid internship or apprenticeship sorry in bespoke shoemaking in Northampton so I felt incredibly lucky
0: sounds like you certainly knew some things before you took that apprenticeship from some of your previous training and studies I I imagine they kind of treat you like you don't know anything on day one at trickers like how how do they start they're like okay you're gonna make shoes completely from scratch all by yourself but today you're learning x
1: well yeah i mean the thing is actually from university i thought i've got a quite good idea of how to make a shoe and then once i stepped into trickers i realized i actually knew nothing which was was quite funny because a lot of the shoes that you make well all of the shoes that you make at university are all design concepts and they're all cement construction just stuck on sole units you know there's no actual i mean there's skill but there's no obviously welting and the traditional techniques we just we just learned sort of the fast variation of shoemaking i was actually taught from scratch um scott mckee who was the shoemaker that originally taught me at trickers he started off by showing me how to round an insole which now looking back i think how did it take me so long to learn how to properly round an insole? And now, you know, when you actually watch somebody do it for the first time, you realise how difficult it is and how you have to get so many knife skills. And it's all even about holding a knife. It's it, it's really, really intricate work. And you have to practice every element over and over again. So it really was every day you'd come in, okay, we're rounding insoles today and you'd do that for two weeks and then you would move on to the next thing and then go back to rounding insoles again at some point and perfecting the skills that you learned originally. It's just a lot of repetition, a lot of patience. And like I said before, needing to be a perfectionist is is quite important because every step of shoemaking has a knock-on effect to the next step. And if you don't do the first area of the shoe correctly, then... The end product just it won't be as high enough standard yeah
0: i built um very very similar situation my first lego set for the first time in over a decade <laughs> finished it last night and i got halfway through it more than halfway through it and i was like oh, i I did it wrong and i had to pull it all <laughs> apart oh, no. which you can do with legos but now i have a little race car sitting on my desk but, yeah. That, like, that's, that, that was daunting. That's the that was the most daunting it. thing I'd <laughs> en- encountered in months or possibly over a decade. Like, imagine
1: <laughs> Lego. It's the Lego. Making
0: a mistake while making a, a pair of shoes that, you know, these materials are expensive, but more importantly, time and doing your job correctly involves seemingly barely making mistakes, I imagine.
1: Yeah. I mean, once you've made a mistake, you tend not to do it again because you certainly learn from it. It's an expensive and time-consuming mistake. Shoemaking by hand is, is a lot to do with building the foundation, really. And once you've got the foundation of the shoe perfected, every layer from there has to also be built on that in the same way. I mean, today, for instance, I was stitching a sole. Once I had stitched a sole and then I'd laid down the channel, I then had to trim the edge of the sole. And if one slip with that knife, you'll slice straight into the upper. And then you've got to start again and you've almost finished the shoe. So the moment you feel as though you might be tired or you're hungry, (laughs) you just need to take a break because you'll make a really, really, really silly mistake and regret it for a long time.
0: That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Um, Best job in the world. Yeah. Extreme pressure. Yeah, it's a
1: lot of pressure, but you have to just be quite in tuned with knowing what mood you're in. And what mood that will take you in for the rest of the day and what jobs you're capable of doing. So if you feel like you may have a day of mistakes, maybe just make some thread. Do sort of simple jobs. Do admin. Don't do the intricate jobs because you'll just end up costing yourself a hell of a lot more time down the line. And it's really not worth it. And you just sometimes have to be quite honest and say, I'm going to leave that job until tomorrow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what uh, What is your go-to snack where you're feeling like all right I've got to do some intricate work here I'm feeling a little peckish you know working from home you got a lot of options to I assume there's a cup of tea involved what else do you snack
0: on the restorative snack question
1: oh there's always tea involved when I was working at the factory like you say I was restricted to how much food I had because whatever I took was what I had for the day but at home it's awful You're rummaging through the cupboards. It's like 10 in the morning. You've been working for three hours and you're like, I need to eat. This week, it's been a box of white chocolate chip muffins and they've been amazing. Mm. I don't know. I've not exercised enough, so I d- dread to think what damage they've done, but they've been so good and full of sugar. It's just like exactly what you need.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to get the shoes made, right? So you need the muffins.
1: That's my excuse, but I don't know mm-hmm. how long I can hold on to that one for. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Yeah, it's like kind of trite observation, but like you really got to like find your Zen and love the idea that you need to be perfect. This profession prefers a perfectionist. I don't know. It started out sounding so fun and then you're like, oh, my God.
1: It definitely attracts perfectionists. And also, I find it quite tiring because you have to focus a lot on the job in hand so you don't go wrong. And it's really physical. People quite often find it difficult to understand how physical shoemaking is.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Everything's on your lap. So you're sat there with a shoe in between your thighs and you've got restricted space. You've only got your arm span to be able to pull the threads out. And every pull needs the same tension and everything needs to be tight and even. So, you know, you have to have really strong hands, strong forearms, strong shoulders I'm just prone to getting injuries and I constantly have problems with my shoulders because lasting a shoe takes a lot of physical strength. Even we make our own threads and waxing the threads, it's repetitive motion. And I think that's where a lot of the the strength comes in because when you're welting, doing probably 70 stitches, one after another, the same with sole stitching, lasting, it's a repetitive process. So everything takes its toll. And it's nice to mix things up. I try not to stitch maybe three pairs of welts in, in three consecutive days. I try and make sure that the jobs I do complement one another. Because you do get quite tense as well, because your knees go, I'm doing the action as we speak. So your knees go high, and then your back huddles over, and you end up just looking like a really old person sat there. (laughs) It's not like the most attractive position to sit in. So yeah, you have to remember just sometimes to relax and to stand up as well and do lots of stretching. Uh, But yeah, it's a really, really physical job, a physical job that I love. And you get quite a few injuries, just general knife injuries, cuts, and especially in the day and age we're living at the moment with sanitizer. And every time you sanitize and it gets in every small little cut, you're like, ah, (laughs) it's not pleasant at all. (laughs) Um, I mean, my hands don't look very feminine. There's definitely no fake nails, nail polish. It's just like black hands all the time.
2: Are there any kind of like exercises or things that you do to kind of prepare your body to kind of handle the physical toll of of making these shoes every day?
1: Yeah, I had um, after working for, say, three years, I started to get really bad back pain and I went to see a physio. And she said, one side of your back's got really strong muscles and the other side, they're basically like just you haven't got any muscle at all because of the position you've been sitting in whilst working. So now I have to do boring exercises all the time to strengthen my back. But they make a huge difference. So it's, re- it's really important because I'm still quite young um, and I intend for this to be my job until I retire. So I think as long as I want to do this, I need to really look after my body. So lots of stretches and lots of yoga, strengthen the core, because it does really help. It makes a huge difference. Um, A colleague of mine, he's six foot two or three, and he gets really bad hips because the positions we sit in, you know, like I said, your, your knees are quite high and you forget yourself because you're doing a job and you're so engrossed in the job. You forget that you actually need to straighten your back and relax yeah, I don't I don't want to grow old and be hunched over with really bad joint problems. It won't be worth it. So have to look after yourself. Man,
0: stay at it, I guess. I don't know. This isn't what I do every day, so I can't really give you any tips.
1: No, it's worth it. I mean, I love the job. I wouldn't stop doing the job. I'd rather just work on my body and then be able to do what I love. So that's the most important thing.
0: Let's talk about how it all works at Trickers. I want to get a pair of bespoke shoes made. I call you and say, Adele, let's do it. What happens after that from a customer perspective? And then what are you doing that maybe people don't even realize?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, recently, actually, we've had tons of those calls, which has been great. I think since lockdowns have ended, we've had um, more inquiries than I have known for my whole time at Trickers. So we've had lots of, hmm. lots of new inquiries. Uh, so I was with a customer yesterday. I've been measuring up roughly two a week which is really really good we get a lot of inquiries and i like to ring them that's the first port of call i think email you can send some prices but i think actually talking on the phone they can get a much better understanding of what you can offer and you get a much better understanding of what they need so i think it's really important to have that initial phone call to establish from both sides where where we can take this call the customer discuss their needs and let them know a little bit about us and what we can offer. Usually most customers tend to have an idea of what they like. We have had a few customers that are completely clueless and they want to have a lovely pair of shoes, but they're unsure what we can offer and what they want, which is, it's nice. I think both scenarios have got pros and cons because sometimes you can be really imaginative with them and sometimes a customer knows that, you know, they know exactly what they want. And that's great because they walk away with a product they're really happy with. We arrange a, fit, uh, a sorry a measuring for them. During lockdown, we were doing home visits, which was, which was fun. And usually we just offer our measuring service in Northampton and in our German street store in London. We meet the customer and everything's traditional down to the fact that we measure, we draw around their feet on a piece of white card with a pencil and a tape measure. It's really, really that simple. Uh, we take five measurements of each foot and then we do impressions of both feet as well. So they stand in, a, in like a foam-like substance and it just gives the last maker a great idea of their arch and just the outline and another sort of backup from the, the drafted pencil-drawn outline. Uh, and the, the actual measuring process itself takes roughly 20 minutes. And it's usually the discussion around the measuring process that takes a lot longer. I like to give them a real good idea of of the process and the timescale and the materials that we use. I think it's really important for the customer to fully understand the standard of service that they're, they're receiving. Because, you know, they're spending a lot of money and it's a bespoke exclusive service. I take samples of leathers. We discuss shoes that are on the shelf. They sometimes try... Ready to wear shoes on just to get an idea of style and colour. And then we go down to every detail from the upper, the lining, the eyelets, upper design, toe shape, the welt, the sole. You know, we go through every single element of the shoe and make a spec of exactly what they want. And I always reassure them and say, you know, we've got this spec, we're going to do a try on for you. And there are parts of this that we can change at a later date. So if you have a change of heart with the sole, we can address that later on. Even if you have a change of heart with the leather, whilst the, the last is being turned, we can have another discussion. I think it's really nice to be open and to let them have a bit of time to think. Because some customers can be overwhelmed with the information if they don't know shoes very well. So I'll try and give them a really genuine service. And I think it's important um, to do that for them.
0: Absolutely. Now... In terms of what Trickers offers, where you can go with that, you know, as a customer, what would you tell me? Like from what I understand, I can get, you know, a a Borton, which I believe is vaguely how it's pronounced. Yeah. And not Burton, at least that's. Borton. Yeah, no, you got it right first time. One of your bosses, David, calls it. (laughs) And you say, okay, I want this leather, and obviously, alas, that's exactly for me. You know, what else is possible from Trickers Bespoke?
1: So we obviously can offer any of our stock styles in Bespoke, no problem. That's absolutely fine, of course. So they can look through the brochure. They can look in the shop. They can look on the website and pick any style. But also, you know, we can do styles that don't exist in in the Trickers range. So more traditional styles, we can add rows of broguing, rows of punching. We can change design lines. We really do design a shoe specifically for that person. So they can walk away with a shoe that nobody else has got which i think is a great thing to take away from a bespoke pair of shoes some people really want to walk away with a bespoke Borton or a bespoke stow or one of our other iconic styles which i think is fantastic as well but the beauty of bespoke is that if a customer wants to have an extra row of stitching on on the toe cap they can or if they'd like to have their initials somewhere hidden in the shoe again they can for some people. That that's what they're after we also offer exclusive leathers within our bespoke range that's another thing that you know people wouldn't be able to buy off the shelf so we can discuss those we have samples of different leathers complete one-offs that, that they won't find anywhere else and they can choose to have different components of the shoes made out of different leathers if they wish and there's a hell of a lot of flexibility with bespoke it's really down to just what the customer wants to be honest
2: yeah, I guess speaking about the, the customers, who are these people that two of them a week are ringing you up saying, hey, I'd like some bespoke shoes? Are they, you know, people who we were talking with our friend Jesper about people who have, you know, weird feet? You know, are they people who have particularly strange fitting needs? Are they just people who love trickers and want to kind of take things to the next level with, you know, a bespoke pair? Uh, are they just people who are super into shoes? I mean, what's what's kind of motivating them to... To order these things.
1: I think you've listed a few um, of our customers there already, to be honest. We have a lot of people who've bought trickers for many, many years. And they've decided that they've got to the stage in life where they want to treat themselves and have a bespoke pair. For instance, I had a guy a couple of weeks ago who said he's always promised himself when he retires, he'll have a pair of bespoke shoes. So it's, you know, a a real gift to himself.
0: That's the key. As soon as you stop making money, Spend a lot of money Exactly, yeah. That's it. I love that goal. So you
1: can aim for that too. might be a way off yet, but you can get there. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, you know, people like him, for instance. We do also have a lot of generational Trickers fans. We have fathers who introduce their children to Trickers at an early age. So they make come in at, you know, once their feet sort of stop growing and decide to have a pair of bespoke shoes because that's what their father and their grandfather did. And it's purely traditional Nothing to do with the fact that they need them. Their feet fit perfectly into ready-to-wear shoes, but it's something that they've been brought up around and it's a lovely tradition, I think, for them to pass on down the family. That's two of our customer types. And then, like you mentioned, some people who can't fit very well into any ready-to-wear shoes. It tends to be bunions that that people have problems with mainly, but also some people are slightly flat-footed, we have a lot of people with quite narrow heels and quite wide joints. People, I'm not sure about you guys, but I've got quite proportioned feet and I'm very lucky. And until you start meeting these people who have issues with their footwear, you don't realise the implications that it actually has. And it must be awful. It's it's a real pleasure to be able to make shoes for people that look really nice and are comfortable. And they've never had that before. So it's a real perk of the job. Well,
0: we actually at least claim quite publicly to have exceedingly normal feet. Whether or not that's true, I I think we need some sort of inspection. (laughs) I'll
1: come and measure them for you and let you know.
0: Perfect. (laughs) And then make me some shoes because despite that, I would still love to have some bespoke shoes at some point. So I'm going to think about that while we take a quick break. And we'll be right back with Adele from Trickers. (laughs) All Ticho. Right, so we both own very excellent pairs of grandstones. I've actually got a handful at this point. You've got your country derbies in cognac pebble green, a wonderfully gutsy leather, as Wyatt might call it, and I think it's high time that we gave some updates. So lay it on me. How's that country derby working out for you? How and when are you wearing it? What are your overall thoughts on, honestly, a really lovely shoe? Summertime, you know, I'm a
2: boots all year round guy, but like there are just these days where it's just too hot. You got to wear a shoe. I actually like got rid of some of my other kind of like more rugged shoes so kind of my primary hey it's too hot let me just throw on some some no shows with like a nice pair of shoes that's been been these country derbies it's been a a nice option to have this summer i did put some new laces in them i got some olive kind of like round waxed cotton laces from my buddy jesse at Garda goods i think the olive and the cognac pebble grain are like just a really nice combination i don't know if it's for everybody but it's working for me send me a picture all right i got you yeah, man, the leather has just really broken in super nicely. It's nice and, and rugged, but still like supple and moves with your foot really nicely. Great for like a rainy day because it's just, it doesn't care about the water at all. It just just keeps rolling, uh, which is pretty sweet. I mean, pretty easy breaking on these. I'm looking forward to the fall though, because I want to wear them with some tweed pants. I want to wear them with, you know, more like trousery kind of stuff. They've been getting me through the summer pretty well, but like these things are... This is a fall shoe, man. That's where they really they really
0: come into their own. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. It's coming up.
2: We're not that far away from uh you know tweed
0: pants weather. As we established on the Shoecast episode with Wyatt from Grantstone, uh, which everyone should go listen to right now, it's a Horween Latigo, correct? Yeah, that's
2: that's exactly it. Yeah, big fan of Latigo, big fan of uh, big fan of these,
0: and love the Grandstone. Veers away, you know, kind of a little bit from their core uh, with your shoes, and also their Dirty Bucks, which are just a very very cool shoe, great summer shoe, and are actually on sale right now for under two hundred bucks. Oh, you're right, man.
2: One ninety five for these things. I mean, it's the same pattern as these guys, just in like a nice kind of new buck on this like red brick sole. That would be pretty nice for for the summer right now.
0: They probably won't be there very long at that price, so everybody go check out GrantStoneShoes.com. Thank you, t for that wonderful update. You're very welcome, Ben. Thanks for asking. Have a great day. And now, back to the ShoeCast. And we're back with Adele Williamson, bespoke shoemaker from Trickers. So as we mentioned at the top, Adele, you're the first... Female bespoke shoemaker at Trickers, which is really an incredible accomplishment to do anything first. But I think we all know that in a lot of ways, especially on, you know, kind of the wrong word to call it manufacturing, but creation side of footwear in general, it's it's a whole lot of dudes. What was that like? Like, what is it like? And, you know, are there things that you encounter that you did expect and didn't expect? And, yeah, like how how is it, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think you're completely correct. It's a very male-dominant industry. Being in that environment, I fell into it quite well, actually. I quite like working with men. They're um the guys I work with, are really, really easy to get on with. But I think I never realized when I actually went into this job that I was the first female. It, took, it was a few months until I actually established that there hadn't ever been any other female bespoke shoemakers at Tricker's. You know, I wasn't blind to the fact that it was mainly men that worked in the factory. Uh, our closing room, which is on the first floor of the factory, is predominantly women, because traditionally women sat at home in their cottages in Northampton with their sewing machines and looked after the children whilst they worked. And that tradition has carried on. And it is all women that work in the closing. And the rest of the factory is mainly men. Uh, there, are, there are women scattered about more and more, which is great. And I just think because of the, the nature of the job and in Northampton, I suppose, shoemaking was seen as a trade. Bricklayers used to be men, plasterers were men, and now in the 21st century, it's great because women are accepted to do every job that a man can do, which I think is so important. I feel pa- quite passionately about that, being in this industry and being in the minority. I really like to shout about the fact that women can do this just as well as men. There are a small a small number of women that are in the bespoke shoemaking industry. And it's great because we've got a really, really nice community. We've got really good relationships with each other. We all learn from one another. And it, it makes us stronger, I think, in a sense. And I think it's really important to to sort of promote the fact that that women can do this job. Because it's quite ironic, really, that my degree was 99% women in footwear design. Hmm. But then the moment you go into footwear manufacturing, as you said, it's all men. I think it's really interesting that women now feel as though they can really approach the shoemaking world and get a job in shoemaking. There's shoemaking schools in London and they really widely promote everybody to come and learn, which they do. And um, I just think going forward, it's going to be a very different industry to what it was a few decades ago which is great. And I like to think hopefully I've made an impact on that.
0: Do you think that you bring something different or is bespoke shoemaking bespoke shoemaking and it's skill based and you just have to learn it?
1: I said to my um, my boss when I was learning, I said, surely anybody can do this as long as they they learn the same things I'm learning. And he said, no, absolutely not. You You need to have an eye for detail. You need to have specific skills, a skill set that You only find out whether you have really when you actually start trying to learn how to make shoes. And I think I have on my side the design element, which is really important because I have the ability to sit with a customer and when they come out with some intricate ideas from my degree, I can actually work out whether or not that pattern would work, whether we can put that shoe together. And I think that's where I have sort of a benefit from my education alongside my apprenticeship at trickers that allows me to sort of see the slightly bigger picture not just from the skill set that I've learned through my apprenticeship but also through the education I've had within the design side of things too
0: people throwing wild ideas at you and you figuring out whether or not they're going to work
1: basically yeah
0: what have some of them been like, what have you been challenged to do by customers that, you know, you didn't see coming and, and hopefully pulled off?
1: Well, I think a lot of customers come to Trickers because they want a shoe that looks like a Trickers shoe, which is great because that's what we want. <laughs> it's quite sensible. Makes sense. But I think sometimes people just want something a little bit different. It's a matter of sitting there with them and doing some sketches and working out exactly what it is they want. And I think, like I said, because I'm also able to design... It just it really gives me that benefit that leans towards some of the ideas that they come up with, and like I said they're nothing they're nothing too crazy because they want a traditional looking shoe, but sometimes they ask questions that you know maybe if they knew a little bit more about shoes they they'd realize wouldn't work, but we can come to some idea together around them, which is really important and and also if design lines need to be moved, I'm able to do that too in the u k Shoemaking is categorised so you have a last maker and then you have somebody who does the patterns and the clicking and the closing and then you from the upper being closed all the components being stitched together it then comes to somebody like myself who does all of the bottom making. So it's everything from lasting the upper right the way through to building the heel and finishing the shoe. In other European countries shoemaking is taught from one person doing everything from the patterns right the way through to the finished shoe and even though in the uk the traditional way is for somebody just to be the bottom maker i.e myself my skills lend themselves to also adapt to the other side of the patterns and the closing which i'm not claiming i'm any expert at but i have enough of an idea for it to work well alongside the bottom making that i that i sort of specialize in
0: what's the coolest shoe you've ever made Ooh. Not for yourself. Maybe for yourself. Oh,
1: that's a really Any good shoe. question. The Coolest shoe I've ever made. Wow. Um, okay, so the coolest shoe I've ever made would probably have to be a French pump, which is a very old construction. And I made them for Prince Charles. That would probably be the coolest shoe because it's a shoe that... Well, it's my claim to fame. And it was really a really different construction to make. So um, it's almost it's a pump. So it's like a slipper that you wear indoors. And the construction's really unusual. They were beautiful, and they fit in really well. So I think that's my claim to fame and the coolest shoe I've ever done. Definitely.
0: All right, that's pretty good.
2: Related follow up question. Who is the coolest person you have made shoes for? Prince Charles, pretty good.
1: I was going to say I don't know if I can answer with the same same answer as <laughs> Prince Charles, but Prince Charles is definitely going to be the coolest person that I've made shoes for. Um, who else? We've made some shoes for um, Idris Elba, the actor. We've made shoes for him. Oh,
0: Straker Bell. Okay, there we go.
1: Yeah, there we go. We'll leave it there. Yeah, we That's made shoes really for good. him, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, there we go. What did he get? He got. I think he actually got a pair of Borton. Nice. Yeah, pair of bortons, which is um, you know, keep it classic. Keep it classic all the way, definitely.
0: Classic man. All right. Those are two pretty good ones. Those are good.
1: Yeah, they're two really pretty good ones. Good. You can't you can't top them too much, I suppose. Idris Elba and Prince Charles. I mean they're different different ends of the spectrum, but still both equally as cool.
0: So this one calls back to something we were talking about earlier and I just I didn't ask it, but I need to ask it now. You mentioned that part of the measuring process is doing foot tracings, Mm -hmm. and Ticho, myself, a lot of our listeners are asked, again, especially by Pacific Northwest bootmakers, to figure out size or if a last adjustment is needed to do these foot tracings. All of our friends over in Indonesia, they're always asking for them. I feel like I'm terrible at them, and they don't tell anybody anything. What advice do you have for somebody who's trying to do a quality foot tracing to tell a shoemaker what their feet actually look like as opposed to whatever I'm emailing them.
1: Really good question.
0: They're like, keep the pencil straight is the only advice you get.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, keep the pencil straight is one. When you are asked for these measurements, do they also ask you to do a tape measure of the joint and the waist and the instep? Often. It, yeah, okay, cool, right. So like, we know what we're working with.
0: But I don't know even where to put those necessarily sometimes.
1: Yeah, so there's quite a few good diagrams online that are quite helpful for where to put the tape. I'd say to begin with, obviously if you're measuring your own feet, then sit down with your legs at a 90 degree angle with your feet on a hard surface. So make sure that whatever the paper's sitting on the card, it's it's not a cushioned surface like a carpet or anything. It's like a hard hardwood floor so that you've already got a nice stable foundation. Keep the pencil straight. That is really important. I know that (laughs) you say that's the only advice they give, but definitely keep the pencil straight and make sure that you really get, um, you get a reading of the pencil straight around the arch and also um, curve into the arch so that they've got both measurements. Alongside that, the tape. So the all important tape. It is really important exactly where you place that tape. Round the joint is the widest part. So just below the big toe on the bone, going over to the other side to the widest point and marking lines with the tape. So once you wrap the tape around the foot, if you then lay the tape flat whilst it's underneath the foot from where you've taken those measurements, making a pencil mark on either side of the tape so that the the maker knows exactly where that measurement was taken. So even if you were slightly off with that measurement, they could probably make up the difference. I'm not sure if that's something they ever ask you to do.
0: Wait, ask you to do what? I'm trying to picture all of this and
1: Yeah, it's so in my head it's so fresh, but it's probably so hard to describe. So once you've got your foot and you've you've done the draft around with the pencil, and then you've got the tape, and you've got the tape underneath the foot and it's who hoop- and it's you know, it's taken around the circumference. Lay the tape flat whilst it's underneath your foot still, so you can make a little a little pencil line either side of the foot where exactly where you measured you put the tape. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah?
2: It makes, I can, I'm picturing what you're saying. Yeah, when. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're okay. Patrick, you can go and do everyone's feet measures because you know. <laughs> I, I'd love
2: to. I love me- I love measuring people's feet. It's always, uh, it's always good to just like see someone's feet and, and just kind of really like, yeah, you learn a little bit about them and like, because it's not something you see every day. Like you don't, you know, Prince Charles is going around. We've all seen his face. We've seen how he waves, but you know, really only you and probably a few other people have like gotten into his feet you know it's like a very interesting personal thing about someone
1: it is actually quite personal and i always ask um whenever we measure feet so we always ask the customer to wear the socks that they are planning to wear with the shoes they're having made because if they come in maybe a silk uh, a silk and cotton blend that they would wear with a dress shoe but they're having a pair of boots made and they're going to wear a heavy cotton sock then we want to measure the feet with the heavy cotton sock So we always ask the customer to come in the socks they're going to actually wear with the shoes. When I'm measuring the feet, I also feel the feet because you need to see if there's anything that's slightly abnormal or anything that's sticking out in an area that you need to pick up on and take an extra draft. And it took a while, if I'm honest, to get used to actually manhandling a stranger's feet because that's pretty much what you're doing. They walk in and within five minutes, the shoes are off. And you're feeling their feet, and you have to you know you're down there and you you you're making sure that everything is as it should be or everything's as it looks, and quite often you establish some things that you would never actually notice just to the eye, so it's really important to make sure that you can you can feel the feet and I take pictures of the feet as well um because again it's really good for a mental note to make sure that you can remember exactly where certain things are on their feet. So that's really important.
2: What is one thing that you kind of routinely see when you're, you know, looking at people's feet that they didn't maybe take into account when they ordered the shoes they walk in wearing that you can just immediately see like, yeah, these shoes are wrong for you. Are there things that people, I don't
0: know, maybe this question doesn't make as much sense as it did in my head. (laughs) No, no, I love this question. We got it. We need an answer to this question.
1: No, I think I do really get that, to be honest.
0: What are people not understanding about their feet that could really help them especially with ready to wear shoes
1: including myself before i became a shoemaker before i knew much about shoes i always thought that my left foot was bigger than my right in length and my left shoe just always felt too tight and the right felt too loose and i didn't know what was going on and until i was actually measured and had my own last made i didn't ever establish what was wrong with them because they looked perfectly fine and it was actually the fact that my left instep was higher than my right so I'd put a shoe on and it'd feel tight, especially a boot. It would feel really tight around the lace area where my instep is because my instep's much higher and I'd struggle to get the left shoe on as opposed to the right. And I think when you don't have an education in shoemaking, which most people don't, these really simple things with your body that you've lived with for years, you kind of overlook them and you maybe you overthink them or just put it down to the fact that one foot is bigger than the other in length. But it's not actually length, it's width or it's their instep. A lot of people tend to wear shoes that sort of accommodate the width. So they go bigger in length so they can get the width because they've got quite short, wide feet. So we have people that wear shoes that maybe are three sizes too big. I had a customer whose shoes were way too big and he was slipping out of them. And I got him down to three sizes in a ready to wear pair before I then made his bespoke. But because he'd worn shoes three sizes too big for him, for the past fifty years, I actually had to make his bespoke shoes for him slightly too big because it was too much of a change he he couldn't cope. I did the fitting and they fit him perfectly but he said they were he he couldn't understand the fact that they were they were a perfect fit. He said they were too too small they were really tight and they they weren't his he was actually still slipping at the back you have every every pair of bespoke shoes is is on such a customer by customer basis, and you have to take these things into account, and that's why I really Enjoy meeting every customer. And I think it's really important for me to be there. And if I can visualize their feet and I can have a long discussion about exactly what they want and exactly what they need, then that pair of shoes that I can produce for them will be perfect. For them. For them, because I understand their needs.
0: Based on their preference, which is so interesting.
1: Exactly. I think sometimes you'll have a last maker who go and measure the feet, and then you'll have a maker that do them. And I think, you know, it. Probably works perfect for a lot of companies, but I've you know I I've, I'm quite visual, well, which is good in the job I'm in, and I find it really important. It, it's a really important part of my job to meet the customer, and to be a part of the whole journey from start to finish, and to establish exactly what it is they need. And like I said, to you know to outline problems like that, for instance, you know if somebody's been wearing shoes that are so big for them for so long, and I me mean, knowing that the fitting shoe that we made was a perfect fit and it looked great, but they weren't particularly happy with it. And I understood why they weren't happy. It was because they like their shoes to fit loosely, which I know it goes against the, the whole reasons of a bespoke shoe, but you have to take those things into account and you have to respect the customer's needs. And I think that's where that that personal service comes in. And it's really important.
0: Customer's always right.
1: The customer's always right, exactly.
0: As a customer or somebody you know you can be both the customer and manufacturer for yourself what shoes do you personally love and wear you've got these stoves on today but what else do you have in your closet and and actually get out there a lot
1: I really enjoy these stoves and I go through phases so I've got a lot of trickers as you can imagine and I certainly go through phases of wearing one or two pairs every other day for about three or four months boots seem to be quite a favorite of mine Uh, I even wear them, I mean, if you can call July, like UK summer, it's raining at the moment and about 18 degrees. So, you know, you can definitely get away with wearing boots. I love our grassmere boot that trickers do in caramel kudu. I mean, I don't know if you guys have got any kudu boots, but they're just so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, they're amazing, aren't they? I rave about them all the time. So I've got quite a few like really iconic tricker styles that I, I just love wearing because... They feel like they're a part of me now, but also I've got my own bespoke last and I've made myself during my training. I made myself two pairs of shoes, which are semi broke, um, cap Oxford's and I've actually just made, well, last year, um, a a lockdown project. I made myself, um, a plain Derby boot in a burgundy pigskin, Hmm. which are really cool. I haven't actually quite finished them yet because I then I started back at work and everything got hectic and I haven't actually got around to completely finishing. They're almost done, so I think it all depends on the occasion with shoes for me. But I've got some really nice lightweight ones. I went I, w- I went to Japan to our Tokyo store and they were perfect because it was really humid and they were the I think they were the Daniel lightweights in red suede and they're really cool because they just really stand out and they're super comfortable. I just don't think I can answer as to what my favorite pair is because when I go through these phases of wearing one pair for three months, I fall in love with them and then they go back and under the bed in, in their box and the next pair come out and I fall in love with them. And it kind of just goes on this rotating cycle of, of favoritism.
0: <laughs> Sounds about right.
1: Yeah, I think we're all the same. All shoe geeks <laughs> are the same, aren't they? They're just sort of, you have your favorites, you wear them out, you get another pair, you wear them out and then you kind of go over it all again the next year
0: oh definitely oh yeah i mean it, it's all about returning to some of the old favorites and then like recommitting to them for a while
1: oh completely you know, the
0: ones you're like i could never get rid of these i don't wear them well wear them you know yeah
1: no i completely agree sometimes i forget what pairs i've actually got and every now and then i'll get all of them out i lay them all out polish them take pictures of them and then sort of decide right which is the next culprit <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, here here's one. So if you were going to compete in the stitch down patina Thunderdome, which this isn't the only pair of, you, pair of shoes you're going to wear for seven months, but it's going to be a pair that you're going to wear pretty hard for seven months. You know, try to get a, a nice patina on them, make them, you know, age pretty nicely in that time. What What do you think you would go with?
1: Really good question. Again, I think I would go with a pair of bespoke that I made for myself. It was a fur. No, it was the second pair I made on my bespoke lasts and they're made out of a beautiful deep green buffalo skin. And I've only worn them a handful of times because every time I get them out, I don't want to get the soles all messed up. And, you know, you get really precious about things like that, don't you? And they live in the cupboard most of the time, which is such a shame. Actually, they are a pair that I wore quite a lot when I went to Japan. But you need the right weather. I don't want to take them out in the rain. They're just like fine weather shoes. So I think I'd wear those because I think they would patina so nicely. I mean, the depth to the green already is gorgeous and it can only get better with time.
0: You might have to make another pair and enter.
1: Yeah, I think so. Any excuse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you mentioned these stows are on the women's last, but I think that you also wear quite a few, you know, quote unquote men's shoes. You know, in our little community, I feel like it's a small but growing number of women who are really interested in that and just love them and sometimes have trouble with sizes and, and all that and, and kind of have to work all the harder. Mm-hmm. Would you have any tips for women who say, I, I love these shoes and what do I do?
1: Come and buy some lovely trickers lady shoes because they look just like the men's. That's my tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's cheating. Yeah. No, Um. I think... With our women's range is growing and it's, we do basically the equivalent of the men's in the ladies with a slightly narrower fit, of course. But I think with women as well, even if there's a style that they don't have in the ladies collection, the men's standard width is quite accommodating. I mean, my feet are an average width for a lady's foot. And sometimes I just pop an insole in there and they're ready to go. It all depends on what size you are, of course, because you've got to be able to fit into the men's sizes too. I think it's really important. Like I I gauge a lot of people's style on their shoes, naturally, which I'm sure a lot of us do. And when I see women that are dressed in a tricker style shoe, you know, I'm just like immediate respect. Like, yes, you've got a good style. Awesome. And I just hope that the the women's collection of country shoes, of, of handmade shoes is growing because, you know, it's really important. And I think fashion now is so androgynous that, you know that these men's styles can be reflected in women's wear so easily and women can really pull them off and they look great don't they at the end of the day I sure think so yeah I do I mean obviously I'm not biased or anything but I only I live in, in Trickers it's all everywhere and sometimes people you know they're not everyone's style but to me they're like they're the ultimate style did that an, did that answer that question by the way I wasn't sure if I answered that right
0: yeah I think so okay cool I mean I I don't know what the answer is frankly no you know i i get that question from women and i'm like well look you can you can look at trickers you can look at carmina they make kind of you know classic men's shoe patterns and into women's shoes but just go figure out what you Mm. like and try some on definitely you know just spend time looking at shoes which is the best advice you can give anybody who wants to become you know just kind of more knowledgeable in the field
1: in the uk obviously you can go down german street and you can walk in and out of shoe shops and try it's shoes. The best. on. And yeah, exactly. You've nothing like it in no. The world. There's nothing like it, and it's such an experience. And I think we don't realise how lucky we are that we can do that. And when you're buying online, um, if you're in the if are in the US and you you know you're ordering these shoes in online, it's not as easy and as simple as oh, just order a couple of pairs of three or four styles, and I'll send the ones back I don't want. So. You know, I I take these things for granted that we can walk into these shops and have beautiful handmade shoes at our disposal. So it must be quite hard. But um, Trickers have got a really good sizing chart now on their website that will enable people to to get a much more accurate fit when they're buying online. So I think if you're looking to buy ready to wear shoes as a male or female, definitely look at that chart and it should really help um, help work out your sizing.
0: Okay, Adele, last question the most important question that we're going to ask you and possibly that we've ever asked anybody. And I'm going to spell this because I don't want to influence any pronunciation. But how do you pronounce the shoe spelled B-L-U-C-H-E-R?
1: Okay, so the pressure's on. But personally, I pronounce it Blucher, but that might be completely wrong. I'm not going to go against what anybody else calls it, but how do you guys pronounce it?
2: We argue between I go Blucher
0: and Ben says Blucher, which is a little different than your pronunciation.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, mine probably sounds like maybe more French, Blucher. But <laughs> I'm so dyslexic. It's probably the worst person you could ask how they pronounce a word because I pronounce some of the most <laughs> obvious words in a really, really awful oh, manner. Oh, don't worry, we do too. <laughs> it's all the fun, it's though. It's kind isn't of it? all we do on this Yeah, show. bad pronunciation of words that we should all know. There's just
2: so many words. Yeah, there's so many of these. You know, shoe words are very specialized, and we only ever see them in writing. And so, as we've transitioned into this audio media. Uh, of this podcast, we're realizing that we don't know how to pronounce any of them. Basically
0: anything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I also think that with shoemaking, there's so many different terms for the same thing. Um, Even in the UK, you know, speaking to friends, they'll use one word for something in manufacturing. Since I've learned that sort of more intricate ways of bespoke shoemaking, I'll quite often interact with the factory for the bench made shoes. And I'll use a phrase and they don't know what I mean. And we're all working for the same company, but it really depends. Some of these words, where they originate from, who taught you, who's influenced you. And there's many words for the same thing. And quite often, you have to go in and be prepared to be knocked down. And someone say, no, it's not called that, it's this. Or there's just several words for it. It's all part of the trade, I think, and the tradition. And it's, it's interesting. I like to know different names for different things.
0: Man, you really let us off the hook there. But- <laughs> Your pronunciation was closer to mine. Yeah, yeah, it was. Episode. Yeah, I am
1: going to go with you, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Patrick. That's okay. <laughs> I,
2: I, I am holding. I am holding out hope that I. We need. We need. There you <laughs> Are there you any shift gears, German though? bespoke shoemakers we have on to back me up?
1: <laughs> yeah, you need to get those on. Stop pinning people down for the pronunciation.
0: We've been talking about doing an entire pronunciations episode, but we don't even know if those will be right. <laughs> oh,
1: I really think you should. That would be great fun. It is. You you have to laugh. You definitely have to laugh at some of these words.
0: It's like, what's the real source? Um, We don't know. Because you're right. It's like there's overlapping terms. And, you know, everybody in every language has used these terms. And obviously they're going to come out sounding a little different.
1: Definitely. I think we learned that this year.
0: When we had Jesper on, he's like, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of Chelseas." I was like, you have like a whole bunch of Shell Cordovan Chelseas?" (laughs) Like in my head. I didn't ask him. But then I was like, "Oh, he just he has Chelsea boots."
1: Oh, okay, yeah, just uh, with his accent and a diff- slightly different way yeah. of saying it. I th-
0: and I, I, I'm not for a moment going to accuse Jesper of. <laughs> no, yeah. much
1: wrong. <laughs> No, you don't. Um, well, we had the shoemakers conference that we have every year, and it's normally hosted somewhere in the UK. And obviously, due to lockdown this year, we had it online, which was which was great. It worked really well, but and it also appealed to a much bigger audience. So we had a lot of people from America and Germany and. Russia, from all over the globe, it was it was great. There was over 200 people, I believe, that took part. It was just interesting, like you say, this discussion follows on to the fact that we had some open conversations um, and we also had some closed sort of conversations that were just a panel of people and we could open up questions to the audience. So many unusual words came out that I hadn't got a clue what they were. They were either American terms or just different phrases. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, it, it really sort of builds a sort of a history of where that person learned their trade. So yeah, I think it will be, it'll be a never ending dilemma in shoemaking that there's so many names for the same thing.
0: It's not just us,
1: not just you guys. <laughs> Definitely not.
2: That's good. That feels nice to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, <we're, laughs> none of us are alone. We can all keep on pronouncing things in our strange individual ways. And that's fine.
0: We're still going to keep seeking the truth, but if we don't get there, as always, It's all about the shoe journey.
1: All about the shoe journey.
0: And that's it. Huge thanks to Grant Stone for sponsoring this episode and the Down Patina Thunderdome, which is rapidly approaching its October 1st start date. Get your new pair lined up and get ready to wear them like hell. Lovingly like hell, that is. For a shot at over 10K in prizes, mostly boots. Also, thanks to Trickers. Thunderdome's about wearing boots the way they are meant to be worn, good and hardy. And in a lot of ways, Trickers pioneered its fabled stow boot that adele is wearing right now specifically for this competition over a century ago excellent foresight trickers they've so kindly offered up a pair for the prize pool and we will also be giving away a pair of stoves next week on the stitch down instagram that must be worn in the thunderdome so that's pretty cool huge thanks again to trickers for that but most of all to adele for coming on today this was great adele
1: thank you so much for having me guys it's been really fun
0: All right. Well, that's it for this week. Take care of your shoes, especially if Adele makes them for you from scratch. And we'll see you next time.